0: This morning's talk, some food for thought, Living for God in an Age of Conformity. We face all sorts of pressures to be true. Some we're standing against evil, some amongst our own fellowship, but are we always true? What about the phrase, yeah, I'll pray for you? How often do I hear that? And I'm either one of the most prayed about people or it's one of these phrases that we throw away, meaning well, but do we follow through? And I'm saying that because I've stopped saying that because I simply can't remember to pray for people. Unless God lays a burden on my heart and if I say it, I look to him to help me carry it out. A friend of mine in Papua New Guinea, Luke Narol, was a guy who ministered to people. Yes, he was worker, he was a PR man, he cleared things through customs in Port Moresby. But Luke had a heart to reach people for the Lord. And one of the people he knew was the governor of the province. The governor didn't give away his private phone number to many people but Luke had it. And I remember being in the um, hotel in uh, Lai. We'd been there and Luke had said let's go down there for a coffee and he needed it breakfast so we went down there to talk and walked in there and, and there's the governor of the province and I quickly prayed a prayer. as Lord give me the words to say to him because that man Hated Australians, and I'm Australian. And uh, as we we came there, uh, Luke introduced me to him. He said, uh, uh, "Luther, his name is Luther Wenge. Uh, Luther, this is my friend Douglas. He works with SIL. Douglas, this is Governor Luther Wengi." And I greeted him, and and I I said a few things to him that. Um, Bought some time and and actually, as we left, Luke said, Douglas, I've been praying for two years that somebody would say that to him. But what was amazing there, it was nice to know the Lord had used me to answer Luke's prayer. It got me out of problems. But Luke was sharing about praying for people and praying. And he said, you know, the governor came up to me, it was election time, and he said... Luke, would you pray for me that I win? When you know somebody who serves the living God, well, you'd like his favour to just ask for help. If somebody said that to you, if Julia Gillard or Tony Abbott came and said, would you pray for me so I win, what are you going to say? Are you going to be polite or are you going to reflect who you are because Luke didn't say yes he said no I won't do that I can't do that because if you don't win you'll think my God is not able to answer my prayers I will pray for you that you will speak well and you present well to people you know that challenged me Because I think as God's people, that's what's life about. That's what life's about, being true to him, in the little things or in the big things. Let's pray. Father, we've read your word. We're not courageous people, but you're a big God. Help us each one to think today, how we can live for you, how we can get to know you better and how we can be excitedly looking for the way that you're going to live out your purpose for us as we walk with you. We thank you, Lord, for your word and we look to you to teach each one of us something about it. Amen. As we read in Daniel chapter 3, we read about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Just to recap, Nebuchadnezzar had taken them as young Jewish men, teenagers, away from Jerusalem to Babylon. In chapter 1 of Daniel, we saw that they didn't just go along with what was in the the royal regime. They weren't going to They didn't want to drink the wine, they didn't want all the luxurious food and be fat and round tubby people. They wanted to honour their God. And so they said, we want an excuse that could have been seen as treason. But God was looking after them. God enabled them to study and Nebuchadnezzar saw that they had more wisdom, way more wisdom than the people that he had in his uh, royal advisers. The Jews had no in-principle decision or disagreement about being in Babylon. They didn't like being there, but it wasn't wrong that they were there. They worshipped Yahweh, the one true God, as they had in their own land, and those around them didn't know what to do with them because their monotheism, because of their monotheism, their worship of one true God, they're often suspect. You imagine if you had... A few well known atheists came and sat in amongst us here this morning, and we were trying to talk and engage. It'd be, well, why not? How do we talk with these guys? They're sort of out there. Well, that's how these men of God were in a society that had many different gods. Because there's always the thing, well, couldn't you include this one too? There's a worldview picture. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten a dream and he demanded his wise men tell him the dream and then tell them the interpretation or he'd kill them. Well, they knew they couldn't do it. And when faced with death, as a trained wise man, Daniel looked to his God. Daniel had distinguished himself by courageously approaching Nebuchadnezzar and promising to tell the king his dream and then together with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego they went to God in prayer and asked for their lives asked for God to reveal a dream and he did so and after being given these insights by God Nebuchadnezzar appeared to be on the threshold of making a new personal commitment but as so often happens he didn't And as anyone who's involved in ministry, seeking to win people for Christ knows, we're in a spiritual battle because it involves the transfer of people's allegiance from the powers of darkness to following Christ. Allegiance means when the chips are down, where are you going to be and to focus? No less here. Despite Nebuchadnezzar's proclamation, in uh, chapter 2, the, where the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of, of mysteries. Now, just a few years later, he stepped out in defiant pride, demanding everyone worship the new gold statue. I should say, in, in uh, chapter 2, the dream was about a statue and the head was of gold and there were different metals and there was clay and iron in the bottom And then a stone came out from nowhere, and it hit the statue, pulverised it, and the whole statue blew away. What is truly important? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 27 metres high, 2.7 metres wide, set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Its purpose was clear. It's very likely that the dream that he had stirred him and he decided, seeing he was the head of gold, he'd build a whole statue of gold. Build a whole statue, cover it with gold and not just have a golden head. After all, he was the greatest and all the kingdoms would be lesser than him. As he was building his kingdom, he had to ensure that the people from all sorts of backgrounds, you notice all languages and and uh, groups of people and so forth. He needed to bring them together so they would be united. The best cement to keep people together is to have a common religious allegiance because as you know people say religion and politics divide. Well if we've got a common religious allegiance then that should go a long way towards bringing people together. So in order to introduce this, he'd built a national shrine and required everyone to bow down and worship before it. All the leaders were summoned. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who are now leaders, were summoned to assemble with the other significant people. This was to be a unifying event, so the leaders' support was crucial. Now there's no mention made of Daniel. We don't know why but because he was second in in charge or third in charge he could well have been off on business elsewhere. We have no reason to suspect that Daniel was hiding or that he he bowed down to it. He is just uh, absent uh, in the the text because the focus is on these three people. Verses 3 to 7. It says, Nebuchadnezzar gathered the richest, most influential, most educated people of his day on the plain of Jura. Surely some of them must have realised what they're being asked to do. But the saying is that everyone has a price, and these men had theirs. These men believed that the king's favour and their positions of power were worth a moment of blasphemy. How wrong they were. When a ceremony is imbued with worship, isn't it amazing how everyone simply cooperates? But if you don't, woe betide you. Nebuchadnezzar expected conformity. Nobody was called on to recant their belief. They were just called on to participate on this national day with everyone else. It was to be a unifying event. His program would have been spoiled if any of the significant groups began to talk of resistance or failed to join in. So to help win the enthusiasm of everyone, he placed great significance on the cultural aspect of the whole affair. And to ensure its success, there was, as one commentator said, the expected threat. He hoped it wouldn't be needed, because with such a range of cultural diversity, There was something for everyone. Surely they'd just cooperate. It was politically expedient to simply participate, even if they didn't agree. This is what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. And as I look around, this is what those engineering our society want today too. Why make a show of it? You don't want to stand out, do you? And so it goes on. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego may have hoped that nobody would would notice their refusal to participate in this act that clashed with their belief as God's people. But they had made up their minds if they were confronted how they would act. They would act in faith and there would be no backing down. When we make a predetermined decision, it will enable us to honour God. Situational decisions without predetermination causes turmoil. and There's a much greater likelihood of following along, justifying our decisions or our actions. "that's not too bad. You have the phrase, you know how it is. You know, you just went along. The Chaldean advises to the king, had been offended by the rapid advancement of the young Jewish men. Here was their chance to eliminate them. We need to watch out for jealous people. Godly conduct is likely to ignite any simmering hostility. These ungrateful men were forgetting that it was Daniel to whom they owed their lives. He had saved their lives by telling the king his dream. After the king had sent out an edict to kill them all. They knew as they went to the king, regardless of what spiritual experiences Nebuchadnezzar had experienced before, he was not a convert to the God of the Jews. They knew all they needed to do was to mention the failure of the Hebrews to follow his wishes, and they wouldn't have to worry further about these men who are usurping their chances to power. Sound familiar? Verses 13 to 15, we read that Nebuchadnezzar was furious. His reaction is what we'd expect of an ancient Near Eastern despot. He was after revenge. How dare these leaders let their beliefs get in the way of the interest of the kingdom? After all, if you want to unite the people, you've got to have the leaders follow along too. His actions show that although he had honoured Daniel for revealing a dream and his position uh, as the golden head of the image, when others could not, he remained completely blind to the power of God at work in the situation and in the lives of these men. These young men were living by the Ten Commandments. What's the first commandment? Do you remember, remember that one? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. But then it goes on with a blessing for those who are faithful to God. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Just think of it. If you were the boss and some young person said to you, no, I'm not doing that, that goes against the grain and you were wanting to show your authority, things get tenser. They were acting in faith. They did not need to stop and pray. Their lives were a prayer offered to God. Faith means trusting God and his word. Trust in God implies the recognition of his power, of his complete power. After all, God had promised to establish a kingdom that could never be destroyed. They had confidence in the power of God and so they were completely submissive to him. They were completely submissive to God's will, whatever that might be. They knew that should God deliver them, his name would be vindicated. If they had died, they would not have regarded their death in the flames as a failure of faith, but rather an indication of God's will. Because God is sovereign, and what matters in eternity is our lives are lived for him. To carry out his will, to carry out his purpose, and to honour him. As we might expect, the king was enraged. The monarch who ruled the world could not control his rage. He did question the three young men to make sure there was no misunderstanding because they were good administrators and he didn't really want to lose them. But such a challenge to the greatest man on earth could not go unpunished. He would show these government employees who was in charge. Execution by cremation wasn't unknown in those times. There's a reference in Jeremiah 29:22. So he ordered the furnace that was already burning as an encouragement to people to go along and do what they're told to be heated seven times hotter. The furnace I read was an industrial-sized furnace, something akin to a railway tunnel, the length of a city block. It was probably for the making of bricks or pottery. It had two levels and several sections and it was blocked at one end. The men were probably placed in the bottom finishing section and the temperature turned up to 2,800 degrees. How it worked did not matter. What mattered was God's actions. The entire scene underlies, underlines the helplessness and apparent hopelessness which the situation of the kingdom of God is often placed. These men held on to the assurance we find in Isaiah 43.5, Fear not, for I am with you, that in either life or death the Lord himself would be with them. Note, the men were thrown into the furnace by Nebuchadnezzar's most prominent military men. They were thrown in fully clothed, which could have been fully intentional so that their first few moments of pain would be even worse than if they went in naked. Nebuchadnezzar was watching to ensure that his orders were carried out. But it was Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers who were killed by the extreme heat as they threw them in. But neither heat nor the flames affected the three men in any way. Nebuchadnezzar was probably frightened as he recognised the obvious spiritual help that was given to these men. He had seen God's power at work before, but now he was seeing four men in the furnace, walking around, not shriveled charcoal, but at peace with the world. God's power, which he could not refute, was greater than his own. And once again, God demonstrated his power in a way that Nebuchadnezzar, recognised unmistakably. We see this around the world as God uses different tactics to communicate with people he wants to reach. The Bible is silent on what the pagan king witnessed. Whether it was the son of God in a pre-incarnate epiphany or an angelic figure, we don't know. But a vital thing is that God caused the fire not to harm us. Nebuchadnezzar called them out. He was once again a powerless spectator. This time, as the rock he had seen flung at the statue and pulverised it, the rock formed without, without human hands was active, not consumed by a furnace, the flames of which were completely inconsequential to God's plans. Once again, the God of heaven had shown him who has the power. Nebuchadnezzar was merely his instrument and he could only do what God permitted him to do. The fire that killed the servants neatly removed the bands that bound the men. Think of it. The men came out. Their clothes didn't smell with fire. They'd been bound when they went in. They came out without bands and the bands were removed and there weren't even scorch marks on their clothes. God worked miraculously, and in a way that the people watching knew it was him at work. The power encounter was complete. Nebuchadnezzar was left to contemplate the futility of his efforts in the face of God, who is the all-powerful one. Daniel tells us that a crowd gathered and saw it. As the writer of the book, communicating to the world, Daniel wanted it clearly recorded that God had shown his power. Their deliverance was complete and supernatural. What struck Nebuchadnezzar was the show of spiritual strength that protected these Israelites who obeyed their God and refused to obey him. This power confronted Nebuchadnezzar. there was nothing like it, and he was speechless. In fact, he might have even been afraid of it because these guys focused on the sources of power in the village. different people had allegiance to different power sources, different spirits, and they went to spirits for power, so too where Babylonians had different gods they were focusing on the power of their God and the God of these three men had shown Nebuchadnezzar and all he hoped to do was completely inconsequential so I believe Nebuchadnezzar was probably very concerned what would this God do to him after he had tried to kill this God's men It's amazing too that fire of his anger was quenched by what he saw and he realized that no matter what he did nothing could cut off these men of god from divine help the more he persecuted them the more he confirmed their witness and so he began to understand that there is a god in heaven who was overseeing his people Nebuchadnezzar had seen the power, and he had to begrudgingly acknowledge that a far greater power than he had was in operation. This did not mean that he was now converted. He still did not think in terms of his pride being humbled and his need for grace. But Nebuchadnezzar recognised the hand of God, but he didn't recognise him for who he was. He referred to him as the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He was keeping his distance. He was a bit uncertain about this powerful God. Hebrews 4.16 says, God has promised to give us grace in our time of need. God will always give it in time. The three friends were committed to honour God Whatever it took, before they knew what form grace would take, whether he would rescue them and enable them to honour him in life or whether they would honour him in death, it only became clear when they faced the trial how God would act. What is your response when you are challenged to go along with the crowd? Have you simply gone along with it? Maybe you've sold your soul at times to fit in with the crowd. This is a challenge to each one of us, myself included, to stand for what is right and true. In a world that is becoming less accommodating for Christians, this same issue of pressure to compromise is one that each of us faces today. and If not today, tomorrow. It's there as a part of the community that we lived in. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to give up his life and in doing so pay the penalty for all the sins of all those in the world who believe in him, your sin and my sin too, so that we can know God. Have you asked him into your life? Do you know God? When we recognise his act of grace and love, we need to respond as of servants, as servants of a God who loves us. And like the three young men whose focus and life commitment was to follow God, we need to ask him to lead us and guide us, not in our own strength, but in his supernatural power to enable us to live like they did, no matter what challenges we face. It's a dangerous step to consider praise and acceptance from others and the comfort it gives now to be more important than God's priority for our eternal security. This story is not outdated. God still acts today in amazing ways. Have you heard the story of the heavenly man, an evangelist in China, now living in America? But he went through all sorts of trials And God did miraculous things with him because he was sold out as God's witness. And because of him and because of other Christians, I believe there are something like 100 million Christians in China. Just we don't hear of them. Not yet. There are other stories of God's people living among people intolerant of their beliefs too. God loves us and he wants us to know him and to live, knowing his grace. His grace has paid all the cost, something that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego didn't know, but they served God anyway. Revelation 22, 12 and 13 says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let me ask you, will you be standing there at the end, relying on God's grace and eagerly awaiting your reward? We cannot earn our salvation by being good or by doing more good things than bad things. It's a gift to us when we believe that Christ died on the cross in our place. And then having believed, we live and we act out as God's people, we do things because God has empowered us and wants to use us. We do it because we've been saved and we can look forward with great anticipation to our future with God. In closing, may we live our lives as we consider God's grace and live to please Him as a part of His family and draw from Him the strength to be faithful as these young men were, wherever. And in whatever situation we face. Let's pray. Our loving Father. We've read a story today. That amazes us. Of your power stepping in. We're amazed by the courage of these young men too. Father as we. Live our lives. Help us as we live for you to draw courage from you. Father, would you give each one of us the courage as we confront situations to speak honestly, to stand up for what is right and to honour you. And Father, I pray too that you would show us in simple ways that you delight when we do honour you and we put you first. Father, maybe there are some people here this morning who are going to find situations in this coming week where they need to stand up. Father, I pray that you would give them courage and strength and through your response, show them your power and maybe May it be a response that will show those watching on that you are God. You, the Lord of heaven and earth, still operate today. And those watching on need to take account of it and bow down and worship you, as Nebuchadnezzar did too. Father, we thank you that you love us and you care for us. And we ask for your help as we go into the next week and we walk with you, trusting you. For we ask it in your name. Amen.